This is Jolie Lindholm from the Darling Fire, and you're listening to The New Scene. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The New Scene. I am your host, Keith, and we're back with a brand new episode. And I've got not one, but two guest co-hosts with me today. This is very exciting. We've got Josh Brigham back on the show, guitarist for Hope's Fall. Josh, say hello. Hey, what's going on, guys? Good to be here. Hey, Josh, it's wonderful to have you back. And we've got Adam Morgan, drummer for Hope's Fall, back on the show. Adam, say hello. Hey, guys. Super excited to be here talking about our guest today. Yes, it's wonderful to have you both back. And the reason I have Josh and Adam here today is they are very big fans of our guest for today's show, who is the one, the only, Alan Epley of Shiner and the Life and Times. Yeah. That's right. Yes. Do it. We got him. It's happening. I have spoken to Alan. It's an excellent conversation. We cover it all. We cover Shiner. We cover the Life and Times. We cover Alan's podcast, Third Gear Scratch. We cover it all. And that conversation's coming up shortly, so strap in. This is exciting, huh, guys? Alan Epley. Definitely exciting. I'm excited to hear what he has to say. I've always wondered about this band. And Adam, you and I were talking a a little bit before Josh woke up and joined the show. (laughs) And and, uh, you were talking about the, the influence Shiner has on you and just how much you've spoken about them in your years of touring with Hope's Fall. Yeah, absolutely. Like I was telling you before we started, uh, you know, recording, you know, Hope's Fall were quite literally disciples of Shiner. Um, we, we, <laughs> we, we went around the world. We went city to city and anybody who was willing to listen to us got a healthy earful of Shiner. I love that. Yeah. And, uh, Members of Hope's Fall, you are you guys are like the go-to guys for good alternative bands. I mean, you personally turned me onto Hum and probably many others. Yeah, uh, we take a lot of pride in that. That's, I mean, that's something that was uh, we were very passionate about, still are very passionate about, and some of our favorite music is you know in that vein. So, of course, anybody we could tell and um, turn on to you know, bands like Hum and Shiner, we were excited to share that uh, knowledge with with the people. The conversation with Alan is coming up very soon. But first, here's how you can support the new scene. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at New Scene Pod. Pick up a shirt. We have a nice selection of shirts at Deathwish Inc. Follow our YouTube channels. We've got a main channel with full episodes of the show. We've got a clips channel with selections from our favorite episodes. We've got a new gaming channel, so if you're into video game content, we've got that as well. We do it all here at The New Scene. Oh, and give us Apple Podcast and Spotify reviews. Five stars only. I can settle for no less. And if you write a nice five-star review on Apple Podcasts, I'll read it on the air. You can always email me at newscenepod at iodinerecords.com as well. And don't forget to support Iodine Recordings. There's always a lot going on at Iodine, tours, signings, bands, new releases, 
excellent merch, too much to even name. Check out their Instagram at Iodine Recordings or head on over to the website at iodinerecords.com. So, gentlemen, let's talk about music, our favorite subject. I'm interested in what everyone's listening to these days. Josh, let's start with you. All right. I'm glad you did, dude. Like, I, uh, I got fed one of those things on my Spotify things uh, earlier today. It was like, we'll greet death, uh, be on your top playlist today. And I was like, I wonder if it will be on the top playlist this year. And so I went back and listened to that record. Uh, actually, both of them, the old one and the new one. Or the one that you first showed me and then the, the new one that just came out. So I'm still on that kick. Yeah, I've been meaning to go back and listen to the full length again. I just haven't had time to do it yet, but that's going to happen. And that record will be on my most listened to records on Spotify. It has to be. Yeah, it just has to be. I really like that record. What about you, Adam? What are you listening to these days? I've been listening. I've been in a deep dive for the last three or four years into a genre called modern classical ambient kind of stuff. Um so I've been I've been really enjoying artists like um, Sebastian Plano, Olafur Arnolds, and Alex Summers. You know, it's it's very it's stuff that's very chill. It's very based in classical music. It's it's heavy on strings and piano, but they also kind of infuse a little bit of bleeps and bloops and you know, kind of digital goodness um, to kind of bring it into more of a, a modern kind of new agey feel. So that's what I've been into lately. I love that. I'm going to check some of that out because Adam, you're the big fan of Hammock too, aren't you? I love Hammock. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's my. That's probably my favorite band ever. I have two tattoos. One is an Ink and Dagger tattoo and the other one is a Hammock tattoo. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I would like to imagine that I'm the only person out there with a Hammock inspired tattoo. I'm probably not, but I like to imagine that I am. What uh what's the imagery you have tattooed on on you? It's the did you ever see the video for uh Breath Turn where the yes. kid is uh is like nursing the bird back to health? Yes, 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 yes. It's like the bird with the cast on its wing. Okay. And then I have text that says uh we could die chasing this feeling. Oh man, you're gonna have to send me a picture after this. I wanna see that. I'm going to. I have two band tattoos. One's a Hope's Fall one, and the other, fittingly enough, is a Shiner tattoo. Oh, so you have a Shiner tattoo. I do. Amazing. So you're the perfect person to have as one of the guest hosts for this show. I, I would believe so. Yes, sir. I also believe so. <laughs> <laughs> Josh, you weren't kidding when you said, Adam, this is his favorite band. Yeah, no, I was, I was like, yeah, when you, when you called me about that, I was like, this is, this is, the, this is the only call we need to make. Excellent. Well, let's not waste any more time. We're going to jump into the interview with Alan now, but please make sure you check back in with me and Adam and Josh in segment three of the show. There's a lot more to cover. I got COVID this week. COVID. I have been beaten down by the virus and have had the worst week of my life. I'll talk about that. Uh, Adam and Josh and the rest of Hope's Fall just celebrated 20 years of the satellite years, their classic album. We'll talk about that, and we'll talk about how we're all doing. But right now, we are going to speak to Alan Epley. Enjoy. Well, you 
All right. We are here now with Alan Epley. Alan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you. Yes, Alan, it is wonderful to have you here. You know, the amount of great music you have recorded over the years between Shiner and the Life and Times is just, it, it can't even be counted. And uh, we're going to cover all of that and more. But first, Alan, I want to ask you, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. I feel rested. Uh, I've been sleeping pretty well. I wasn't past couple nights, but uh, I'm all caught up. Yeah, I'm feeling all right. I'm glad to hear that. Why, why the restlessness? Does that just happen sometimes? Uh, yeah, if I work too late. And if, if I've had too much to drink, I don't sleep well. And then I'll wake up too early. And then, you know, your head hurts. It's not good for you. You know, you're poisoning yourself. So I try not to do it too often, but it, it got to me the other night. I see. Yeah, yeah. When I used to drink a lot, you pass out and then you wake up all of a sudden at like 1 or 2 a.m., I guess when all the sugar wears off or something like that, and then it's hard to get back to sleep. Yeah, it must be. I don't know what it is, but um, uh, the the chores of the day needed to be started regardless. And um, and so, you know, you get up and you handle it. And um, But I've been just fine. It's been a bit of a warm weekend and just been doing a bunch of house stuff. My wife hurt her hip um, and had some surgery. She hurt her hip in a, in a ski accident in February, dislocated it. And then, um, so she had her surgery and the recovery time is about six weeks in this brace. So I have been doing everything (laughs) (laughs) and I'm fairly exhausted. I've got caregivers fatigue, but it's a, it's a good kind of fatigue. I'm all right with it. I'm at peace. You have kids too, right? I do. How many and how old? Uh, they're 18 years old. Uh, They're twins, boy and a girl. And they're at college right now. The first year, first semester at college. That must be a trip, right? Uh, yeah, it's okay. They're uh, they're here in town at DePaul, and um, it's a really cool liberal arts Jesuit university, and it is it's cool. They're enjoying it. It's um, it's too close to home because they keep coming back home. So I don't, I don't <laughs> really get a chance to miss them. I see. So you didn't do like the drop them off to school and leave and hope they're okay thing. No, we did that. But they just came home the next weekend. They were like, there's nothing going on this weekend, and I don't like my roommates. I was like, well, that's what you learn in college. Go get along with your roommates. It's not about the curriculum. Everybody knows that. It's about learning to live. Yeah, and do things on your own and show up for class when, you know, no one's making you. So you said you live in Chicago. I do. Yeah. How do you? How long have you been there? Uh, 12 years now. 12 years now, something like that. I live in, uh, we moved around the city for the first four or five years here, lived um, in several different neighborhoods, Andersonville, Logan Square for a long time, Avondale, and then we moved up, we finally bought a house and it's in Evanston, but it's right at the southern tip of Evanston. Evanston is connected to Chicago on the north side, it's where Northwestern University is at, and right on the water, it's nice, we have good beaches, and it, we're, it's kind of a college town vibe to Chicagoans. Evanston is bougie, but as you go up the coast, Evanston is trash to the to the <laughs> to the suburbs north of you. You know, Wilmette and Highland Park and Glencoe and all of that. I know you're very busy. I've been researching you, Alan. We know that you have Shiner. We know that you have Life and Times. You perform with the Blue Man Group, and you're married with kids. So, I mean, you must be busy all the time. I'm a busy man, and then yeah. you, and then the. Uh, the podcast adds a lot of nuance to the schedule and a certain urgency 
and that is that's been all right um i've been enjoying it it was uh it's been occupying my time in a really good way and um the intended effect has been working and where i'm i'm basically talking to artists about why they do what they do and how they have managed to stay in it and um it's a life in the arts is kind of a unicorn existence doesn't really a lot of people do not can't really fathom that you know the whole existence you know as a as a musician as a working living musician and um so after a while i stopped believing it i was like what the hell am i doing and why am i doing this and uh i was talking to my therapist about this a few years ago and i said i want to talk to more people and find out what they're doing and i said i'm going to start a podcast and i did and it has helped a lot and so i just talked to all kinds of different actors and comics and musicians mainly but filmmakers and all kinds of stuff about how they have done this. And, you know, it's through tenacity and, and staying with it and working odd jobs and hustling and, 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 um, just when you quit, nothing is going to work. So people just stay with it mainly is the thing. So it's been an interesting experiment. Yes. And we're talking about third gear scratch podcast. That's Alan's podcast. And I highly recommend it to everyone. If you haven't heard it, I was listening to it today and I like the idea of your podcast, because this is something I'm really interested in too, is just the mechanics. Like, you know, I've read interviews with you, Alan, where you said there's a lot of misconception about people in the arts. Like you see someone on TV and you think they're rich or you see someone in a band, you think they're living this glamorous lifestyle. No, not necessarily. And I'm also super interested in the mechanics of how people make it work because I never did that fully, you know, like I kind of was in bands but I never fully committed to it. And I, I always had to fit it into other things. So I'm, I'm so fascinated by people who have given themselves to it. And I feel like I'm doing that now, but uh, not as much when I'm younger. Right. No, I would consider this part of it. Uh, but it, it's um, not only are, are we looking at people who on stage or on the screen who we assume are rich, but are also still, you know, having to work certain jobs along the way and do things they may not want to do in order to make the dream happen. But we're also seeing a lot of people that we don't necessarily know that have quite good careers in the arts, which just they're not on the cover of Rolling Stone or they're not walking the red carpet. And there's a lot of bands that do very well, but our mothers would never have heard of them or a lot of, you know what I mean? And there's a lot of actors that are working and doing quite making quite good money doing voiceovers and commercials and you know theater and that you know as long as you set this bar of success at an attainable level which is can i make a living and can i exist and be in the arts then you 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 have a much greater chance of success i would say as opposed to saying man when am i going to be you know flying every, to every gig and you know putting these unreasonable kinds of expectations on it so yeah when will my stage show be transported to the venue with six tractor trailers it's like uh probably never <laughs> it, it might not that's one thing i i don't think a lot of people grasp is that like not everybody wants to be tom cruise you can have a perfectly great career just being a working actor or a working musician for sure and in, in some ways it's a more desirable kind of thing. Cause with any band or, or any actor or huge comic, their star rises at some point, your star will go down. And then your, your life is kind of based on predicated on whether you're in at the moment. Whereas somebody who's just like this working steady character actor will work no matter what throughout 
You know, we've seen him on all of our shows for the past 30 years. You know, those actors, you go, oh, what's his name? That's, um, then you realize you don't know his name. You just know you've seen him in a million things along the way. And he's been working steadily the entire time, you know, and that is many, many actors that are, that are not stars, quote unquote, but they're still doing very well. And there's a lot of musicians that way too. I mean, there's a bit, you know, you know, you know, the band murder by death, Of course, but, and they're doing very well, but they're also not a total household name. You know what I mean? But they're a kind of band that's carved a a nice niche for themselves where they can like stay home and start this restaurant in Louisville where they work. Um, They opened a pizza restaurant, like a wood, wood stove pizza restaurant, I believe. And on the east side of, of Louisville, my hometown and um, the East end, they say, and they're doing very well, but they also go out on tour and they sell out, you know, 700 to 1200 person venues. And so they have this life of anonymity, but they also can do very well and live the life they want to live. As long as they're not, like I say, expecting there to be a helicopter to fly you at every gig. So do you feel like you're living that life, Alan? I mean, you've got multiple great bands. You've got a lot of stuff going on. Do you feel like you're getting to do everything you want to do? Um, I do. And it's taken me a while to get to that. I feel like th- one of the things I really wanted to do, in addition to continue to make music, is to have a family and a wife and to experience some of the normal things that you would that many musicians opt out of because they can't afford a child. It's not going to work with them on the road. They put it off for a long time and then it never happens. And many people, you know, you don't have to have a, a kid to be complete by any stretch. I don't, and I don't believe that, you know, I mean, although I do find, tons of joy and knowledge that I've learned about myself from having a child. I don't believe that everyone has to have it, you know, by any stretch, you know, for fuck's sake. No, I mean, the, the world's too packed anyway. So maybe don't, <laughs> maybe don't have a kid, but uh, yeah, I, I feel like I have kind of won the lottery and having a family and also, and being able to, you know, have a nice house, a reasonably nice house. And and still be able to go out on tour with my stupid bands and make, you know, make music. And, um, it's been a nice, uh, it's been a nice trade-off, you know, I, I enjoy it. That's gotta be great. You're really doing it all because my experience, at least as of late is if I'm with somebody, they're usually trying to get me to stop doing the things I enjoy doing for whatever reason. But it sounds like you have full support. You get to go out and tour and play shows. You get to do it all and have the family on top of that. It's been nice. And there's a level of success to it and with a booking agent, but you know, we're not like huge by any stretch. We have some good shows and we have shitty shows too. So we're not, we're the, you know, there are, there are levels of, of my, what I'm looking for in other, in other people that have, you know, really done very well and still have families and, and do, you know, the get up kids are a great example of that. Those guys are freaking huge. Some, some of my boys from Kansas city, Get up kids all there. Those guys are all middle-aged men with families, but have done very well and still pack out, you know, big theaters all over. So kudos to them. That's a great example of, you know, and they, they, one of the things I think that get up kids has is they attached onto, and they were emblematic and of an entire movement, which we not necessarily, I don't think Shiner ever really was, you know, I mean, or our movement wasn't near, didn't have the power of that kind of emo punk pop 
emo vibe. And when I say emo, that's not the same emo that I think. When I think of emo, I think of seam and sunny day real estate and like early nineties kind of thing. But like later on it became, it had take on, it took on other meanings. And so, um, but the good of kids are a great band and a great example of being able to still do go out and play great shows, but you know, have a life at home. And so, yeah, shouts out to those boys, my dudes. Yeah. The great band. I've had Matt on the show. He's great. And they were, they were like leading a movement because when I was a, a thick headed, hardcore kid in 1998, who would only listen to the craziest stuff out there, four minute mile came along and changed everything. So I think that band, that record uh, was part of a new movement in that type of music. For sure. It was important. You know, those guys are, and then still doing very well. And in some cases doing even better than they ever did. You know, how when you, all you gotta do is go away for 10 or 15 years and you come back and the shows are a lot bigger, you know, and that was certainly Shiner's case. Yeah. You did that, right? When you came back there, I remember a lot of hype. Yeah, there was a lot of hype. It was really good and, and still is quite good. And, um, we do, we do well most places and, you know, there's always, I'm always happy to play to any size crowd and they, we generally do pretty well most places and, you know, there's hit and miss and some places you think it'll do very well and other places you don't know what happens and it packs out. And, um, but yeah, it's like I say, it goes back to sticking around. You can't come back for your reunion tour if you've stopped doing it completely. You know what I mean? If you, if you, if you never go back to it, you'll never go back to it. So (laughs) exactly. Now, Shiner, let's take let's go back a little bit to the beginning of Shiner. When I think of bands that influence me the most in how I learned to play guitar and the bands I've been in, I think Shiner, I think Failure, I think Hum, I think Quicksand, uh, all of these bands kind of in a cool collective that many people draw from. Those are my influences. But Alan, what were some of your guys' influences in the early days? And uh, don't forget Swerve Driver in that in that oh, group yeah. of bands you were yeah. you were just discussing. Um, for me, and where we were jumping off from was a little a few years earlier than that. So it would have been what we were really trying to emulate would have been Swerve Driver, would have been Slint and from Louisville, and it would have been it would have been very early Smashing Pumpkins, like the EP and Gish, and then you know, that kind of, kind of going for it vibe, a little bit of the, of the vibe and dissonance of Jesus lizard, but it never really played out with shiner that never really was manifested so much in shiner. That was more like a season to risk thing. And season to risk was a great band from Kansas city that I draw all of my players from uh, Paul Malinowski, the bass player played with season risk and Josh Newton also played with our guitarist also played with season to risk. Jason Gherkin drummed on their second record. And like, so I've, I kind of call from, from that band, all of my players, but, uh, yeah, it was this, it was slint. It was swerve driver and smashing pumpkins. And uh, I love the melody. I didn't have a scream per se. And a lot of the best bands out there had a good scream, you know, a good screamer. And I was always kind of a singer and looking for, a way that I could represent myself. And I, and, and to my, to my credit, I was one of the few singers in the, in the scene at that time in Kansas city. And it was pretty, it was a, it was a busy scene in Kansas city. Um, many cool venues and a very healthy collection of 
musicians and, and a lot of great bands all going out to see each other. It sounds like such a cliche. We go out and we see each other every night and we see each other play. <laughs> it was like, it really was that we would, we'd, you know, stay out and drink quarter draws. Quarter draws was a, was a night at this place called the shadow. And there was actually a really great venue. We saw like Jane's addiction and Soundgarden played there and Firehose and, and ride and all these different bands played at the shadow. It was a great venue, but they had a night that was called quarter draws and a draw of beer is like a draft for some reason. That's what they call it in Kansas city. And you could get a, a glass of beer for a quarter. So everyone, everybody was buying everybody else beers and <laughs> uh, eating many thins is what I remember at the time. Yeah, it is a cliche, but those are the days. It's fun. You're, you're just getting started in music. You're playing with all your friends. Everybody's hanging out. It's a good time. Uh, it is. And it builds a community. And it definitely was. And our our main community was like Molly McGuire, Season of Risk. And those guys had been signed to a major label. And Shiner, we, I was sure we were going to get signed to a label, big label. And we, we had offers, but we deferred and basically kind of fumbled our way through several different meetings and ultimately blew them, you know. So maybe that's the, maybe that's the uh, actual root of our longevity is not getting signed to a major label. It could be because you hear the same story so many times, like a respected independent band makes their major label debut. The label doesn't support it. The A&R guy that supports you leaves. The band breaks up. I mean, I've heard the story many times. Yeah, that's it's the... Steve Albini recounted it very well in uh, what was amazing, like Punk Disciples or some magazine he was writing for. I can't remember the name of it. And he wrote the big article about that exact same story. And way we avoided it somehow, we fumbled our way out of it and stayed together. <laughs> so, um, we still broke up. No, we still broke up for we we took we took about ten years off and then did a reunion show and re released the Egg, our last record, our our fourth record. And then went out and did some shows. So that was nice in 2012. And so we were able to kind of reform, you know, for those. I had this preconception in my mind that Shiner was a major label band because you have the sound. You have the sound. It's professional. It's great. But it sounds like you didn't actually make that jump. Hmm. We did not. Uh, we were just on really good independent labels and we had great. I would say we had really great engineers, but mainly Paul Malinowski, our bass player, is an exceptional engineer. Jay Robbins was at the helm and Jason Livermore. Jay Robbins is from Jawbox and Jason Livermore is from a, a big studio in Fort Collins, Colorado called The Blasting Room that he co-owns with Bill Stevenson from The Descendants. And right. so, mm -hmm, And so Jason has, has recorded and mixed a lot of Shiner and Life and Times. And he and I have a long relationship and we're very, we have simpatico kind of tastes. And he is really well known for, for mixing bands like, like Rise Against and a lot of bands of that ilk. And those guys are insane and huge. I mean, so when he gets a chance to mix a band that's much less successful, but maybe more artistically in his, what he wants to mix like Life and Times or Shiner, he definitely jumps on it. You know, the paycheck isn't as big for that mix, but it's a balm for his soul. Not that he doesn't love working with Rise Against. They're all insane musicians and they make great music, but like, um, but he enjoys that. But like a lot of that, I, I credit Shiner Sound to, you know, having standards in, in 
the production process. You know, you don't have to be on a major label for it to sound pro. How did you learn to do it correctly? Just trial and error, input from others? The very first Shiner record was really out of our hands. It was it was called Splay, and it was on DeSoto Records. That's the Jawbox guys. And um, they arranged an engineer for us, and his name is Bob Weston. And he plays bass in Shellac, and he owns the is a co-owner of the Chicago Mastering Company. And so he does a lot of mastering these days of records. And uh, he's a super talented dude, but he didn't. And we had four days, the first four days of January in 1995 to make a record. And he hadn't heard us. And we set up in Steve Albini's house in Chicago on his old location on Irving Park going west. and. We set up and recorded and didn't, you know, and did it, but the the final process of that, the mixing and everything was not where we were at in our heads. Um, that said, it is still a fine sounding recording and we were very happy to tour on it and to have Bob have, having mixed it and recorded it, but stylistically it wasn't perfect for us. So that was a sign that said, Let's take this into our own hands. We know how to make a record. We had people who could help do that, and that was Paul, quite a, quite a uh, an engineer himself. And he, at that time, he was a novice. That's our bass player, Paul Malinowski, and he he's become he owns his own studio now. So that's what he does full time. So uh, we we after I think after many bands do this, after maybe one or two negative experiences, and it wasn't a negative experience as far as like hanging out it was a great hang with bob and with steve at his house and all of that it was awesome and i would still call those dudes homies but like just stylistically it wasn't exactly the sound we were looking for and so you take it into your own hands and that's what we did we had the opportunity to do that that makes sense i always say if you ever want something done right you have to do it yourself or figure it out yourself right uh that said i've fucked up many things trying to do it myself so and then (laughs) called a pro but uh yeah, but the, it's part of the process, though, right? Exactly. You have to get to that acknowledgement that I need someone else here. So you're in Shiner. We're playing. We're gigging. How old are you at the time? Let's say around like 97, 98. 97, 98. I would have been uh, 28, 29, something like that. And what does your life look like at this point? I mean, do you want to do music as a career? Do you want to take this thing as far as you can? What's what's the situation at the time? Yeah. Yeah, of course. You know, uh, Shiner in 97 would have been putting out our second record, Lula Divinia, with right. Paul, with a new lineup with Paul joining the band was Tim Dow on drums. And we were shopping. We were, we were sure that at some point we would get signed to something huge. Um, our friends in Hum had just gotten signed to a huge publishing deal and um, RCA put out their record. It did very well. We were always on tour with those guys. Um, maybe too much. Those guys might say no. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and it was like, it seemed like it was a matter of time and not like whether it was going to happen or not. It was like, when are we going to get signed and get this like quote unquote signed and then we're saved and then we're huge. And then you have this kind of like, it just is not reality really but it didn't ever happen we were just kept working and working and taught we were the band was in flux um through you know 98 99 tim dow was leaving we were getting jason gherkin in the band to help us 
um, we had we had written made a lot of demos for our third record called Starless with Tim and also with another guitarist, a fourth member joining the band, and his name's Joel Hamilton. And Joel is a very successful engineer in Brooklyn right now at a place called Studio G. And he is really, he's a Grammy award-winning producer and engineer for, I think they're called Highly Suspect, the band who he got a Grammy for. He, he also, he's just, he's very busy and very successful and doing very well. And we, he was with us and helped us write and record some of a fair amount of Starless and put his guitar down on there. He toured with us for about a year. And then Tim Dow left in that we were really under in flux. Tim Dow left. So now I'm the only original member. And we had Jason Gherkin help us track Starless. And, uh, and then we tracked Starless and nothing was happening with it. And then Joel decides to leave. So now I'm, we're just like, it, it already feels like, um, I don't know, like rotating doors, kind of like musical chairs. And I, it's not the band I was wanting. Um, but we got, it wasn't the experience I was wanting, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't like, I wanted just to be a band forever, like you two or something, you know, it's like the same three or four motherfuckers, like you two, REM, the police, that's it. Like, can we just be the same band the entire time? You know, not that REM was, but, uh, we, at a certain night at the hurricane, uh, Josh Newton, our current guitarist approached me and he was, he actually was in a band with Joel Hamilton called glazed baby. And they're from out East out, um, and out of Cape Cod and the whole like Boston area. And they're really a quite dissonant and noisy and amazing band. And, um, he was like, Hey man, I can play guitar too. Is literally, he's, I think Joel was playing a, a Les Paul and Josh comes up and goes, I got a Les Paul too, man. And after Joel had just left, I was like, you're in, <laughs> you're in the fucking band. <laughs> so Josh joined and it really, um, was a huge impact. So now the band is me, Paul Malinowski, Jason Gherkin and Josh Newton. So it's really transformed from where it was just like even a year before, you know, a year before it was me and Paul and Tim making the early demos for Starless, even without Joel and Joel joined, added on, added a lot. You know, you see some of the possibilities of what can happen when you add a fourth member and a fourth member is not just one more dude. It's like 18 more people. Like the, every, the whole process gets like, 10 times more complicated and extrapolated. But, um, so, uh, with Josh, we were able to finish the, the tracking and put the record out. We put it on, we put it out on O and O records, which is owned by Bill Stevenson. We were talking about he, and, uh, so that was interesting. They're kind of a pop punk kind of past, you know, descendants and all that. But, um, we were really glad to have a home and, um, it wasn't a major label. We had fumbled and fucked our way through all of that. And, um, we were very happy. We had a good tour and then, yeah. So that was kind of the, the mindset at that time was, you know, what are we doing? And, you know, we had this recording we were building for like a year and a half and pouring over and spending too much time on to where the recording to me, Starless, our third record is, is, and I've talked about it before in different situations. It's not my favorite record. I think they're, I think there's some really good songs, but they're, um, the performances are not 
what I wanted and the, and the production on it is a little too slick for me. I wish it was, but you know, a lot of people love it. So what do I know? So this is around, this is 2000 when Starless comes out. How does Shiner fit into the overall scene? I know in 2000, there was like a big melodic metalcore thing happening. There's a lot of pop punk. There's some post-hardcore, like post-hardcore is very hit or miss. That type of sound, sometimes it locked on, sometimes it didn't. Where did you fit into all of this? Um, we didn't know those terms at the time. We were just kind of doing our own thing. We weren't, we weren't part of any hardcore thing. We, we never considered ourselves part of any movement. Right. We, we considered ourselves too indie and too noisy for radio. And then we're too radio for a lot of the indie shows and a lot of the, that kind of stuff. So we were really had put ourselves in a rock and a hard place. And so I, I don't know. I'm not sure where we fit in it. Um, we were, we were just trying to figure out, you know, what we did. Our influences at that time, we wanted to be Radiohead. And I think everyone did. Everyone was trying to make okay computer and we sure tried. And, um, you know, we had a, a little failure in there and I was always a fan of failure. I'm not like a diehard. I, I, um, we have connections to those guys. Paul was their front of house on this last tour and they're an amazing band. And the main thing that I love about failure is being able to steal from them, but, <laughs> you know, I, but I, yeah. but I don't just pour over their records daily. And like, I'm not a disciple that way. I, but you know, I also steal from Katy Perry in the same kind of way. And I'll also, you know what I'm saying? It's like, right. I, I, I don't really see us as, as, you know, emblematic of, of some certain scene where there's hardcore and all that stuff. And a lot of the shit, you know, all the things that were happening right there and uh, the limp biscuits and, and all of that, whatever, and the <laughs> corn and stuff. I don't really have any connection to that. That doesn't, it doesn't speak to me. I don't know the new metal. I don't know seven dust. I don't know. I do love Pantera. I love a lot of old Pantera. Um, but that's about as far in like as to, as far as I can go into like that kind of shit. We did not feel like we were a part of, of that kind of scene. We were trying to create our own thing. At this point we had given up really trying to have a major label deal. We were trying to make the best record, you know, or whatever we could. When we finally were able to start writing for the egg, we were trying to, we were really trying to finally get some tracks from Jason Gherkin that were, that were sounded like him because the tracks he put down on starless, he was playing a role. He hadn't joined the band. He was, he was like, I'm going to play what I think y'all need, you know? And <laughs> and so he played more a kind of like dumbed down version of what he normally does very well. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so instead of showing off and doing his thing, he was trying to play a studio role and he was trying to simplify a lot of Tim Dow's fills from a lot of the demos that had already been put down. He was trying, he thought they were too busy and I don't disagree with that, but we were not getting the main, um, the kind of real soul of Jason Gherkin. And it wasn't until we began writing for the egg that we were able to get the real writing. Starless was written between over three years and like with 12 different people, you know, in 14 different studios. And so it was like, it, it was, it was, it's, it's kind of, it came out okay, but it's, it's a disjunct kind of, kind of thing. The egg is a piece of, is a is a piece of music, you know, from top to bottom. As is, I think Lula Divinia, Splay and Starless are flawed in different ways for different reasons. But Lula, I feel really strongly about, and I feel really strongly about the Egg also. Yeah, the Egg is the first album I heard by Shiner, easily one of the best. Now, 
this came out in 2001, and this was the last record for a while until a couple years ago, because obviously the band broke up for a while. But take us back to 2001. Had you already had these major label meetings that you said you fumbled through at this point? No, all those major label meetings were um, were definitely in the era when it was like, I would say it was me and Tim Dow and Sean Sherrill. That was some of our most busiest times with big lawyers, Richard Grable. Um, we were opening, we were the young new band on the block. And so we got an opportunity to open for a lot of these bands and our booking agent at the time, Suzanne McCarthy at flower booking, um, was throwing us on everything. You know, we were, we played the AP fest in Cleveland. That's alternative press, great magazine. And, you know, we played with like soul coughing and flaming lips and, uh, um, some cool bands, you know, it was like way, way, way out of our league at that time. And so they were putting us out on tour with Brainiac and, and, um, uh, grifters and golden and trans am and all these really cool bands that we were trying to find a foothold with. And, um, so that, that major label time was really in, in that moment. And then by the time Starless had come around, that had really, that bird had flown. And so we did get a, a manager and we had him for about a year. It was a young lady who worked there, um, and sh- for a really well-known manager and nothing ever came of it. We did a few showcases in, uh, New York at Mercury lounge and, you know, people were like, ah, I don't see it. I don't hear a hit. I don't hear the single get to the chorus. Don't bore us, you know? And wow. so, well, I mean, I, but it's like, I don't, we didn't have a single, we weren't a single band. We didn't look like that. We were like, you know, at this point we're all like going, man, we're 29, we're 30, man, we're getting old. And you start going like, well, what the fuck are we doing? How long can you do this? What's our shelf life? And you start putting that kind of bullshit on, on the whole thing. It's really unhealthy, but like it's, and it's really not healthy to think of yourself as old until you're actually old. And I would put that at somewhere around 70 or something. You know what I'm saying? Like if you're an old man, like what's people like talk about being, I have a lot of friends from high school that are talking about, I'm so old. If you know what a phone book is, you're old. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, that's just not a healthy attitude. I'm not trying to be, I mean, I'm a middle-aged man still making music. Luckily, you know what I mean? But when I'm 75 and I look back and I'm 53, I don't want to think, I mean, like you are a fool for feeling old. Look how awesome you look. You know what I'm saying? Like when I'm that old and I look back now, I don't want to have spent that this time feeling like a piece of shit and completely out of touch. And there's too many of my like high school buddies are like in that vein. A lot of them are not, but like, um, I do feel like being in the arts does keep you, you know, in a, and at least young minded. And that's all that really matters. I think 100%, you know, like with this show, I'm ensconced with new bands and conversation with new bands and influx of new music coming towards me. So it keeps me connected and I don't feel old at all. I mean, I turned 40 this year, but I don't feel old. You shouldn't. You're a young man. Yeah. Please enjoy it. There you go. I I am going to continue enjoying it. (laughs) So (laughs) the major label meetings, what, what went wrong? Did you guys do something or were people just not interested? Like what happened? Oh, you know, it's, it's a matter of, of, uh, there's just several different things that just, you know, you get offers. We probably took three or four of them, but they're like, just, it didn't pan out for whatever reason they wanted. They wanted to offer you less money and we thought we were worth trillions. And, or at one point we actually invited two different label 
reps to the same dinner. And it was a, it was <laughs> a, 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 the biggest bungle. And we were like, I, I, we were arrogant about it. I think we, that was the main thing is that we just had a certain arrogance to us. And, but, you know, luckily um, I do feel like I, I don't necessarily know where we were ever major label material. So I see what I see is a rep that might like us sign us and then drop us when we sold 12,000 records. That's usually how it goes with a, a lot of the bands, I'll say, of our scene, for lack of a better word. Like, the music is too good. It's, like, too nuanced. I think to be a like a major label band, you have to be dumb to a degree. Like, the music has to be kind of stupid. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, I, 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 I definitely see that. I understand that point of view. I think there's a lot of brilliant music out there that's been made, even that's and super populist. I mean, like, I'm a big fan of... Russia blood to the head from Coldplay. You know, I, yeah. I fucking love that record. And I love a lot of the obviously Radiohead stuff. And I love, you know, so if you can tap into something that is part of this larger collective and you know how to make music and you're okay making music that is this larger pop thing that connects with, knows how to connect with millions of people, then you should do that. And that ain't everybody. You know, I mean, that's not something I write naturally. If you're not writing it naturally, and it's not making you happy, then you have to write what makes you happy. Because if you write it and you're not that happy with it, then everybody else is not going to get it. If you write it and you love it, that's the only way everybody else is going to love it too. You can't write something for somebody else hoping it's going to work out. It You might work. It's just, it doesn't work that way. It's not the way it goes. People, even people who write pappy, you know, kind of trash, they have to kind of have a, an appreciation for it, you know, and that makes it better. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Like, my, you know, the bands I aspire to be, I never aspired to be like you 2 the Rolling Stones. Like my, I got into music and I looked up to Cave In and I looked up to Hum and I looked up to Life and Times. Like th- that's my world. That's what I know. That's what I aspire to be. Love it. Well, those yeah. are all, all great bands. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So 2001, we, we are recording one of our greatest records. Seems like we're locked in. Seems like things are going well. Take us back to that time. Talk about the release of The Egg, and let's talk about the initial end of Shiner. Um, the tracking, uh, like we got to, we had been writing on The Egg for about a year or six or eight months in my basement in Kansas City. Uh, at 4138 Campbell Street, if anybody wants to go there and harass the people at demand a <laughs> tour around the house. And, uh, we were, we would show up on Tuesdays and Thursdays at about 1.30 to about four. And we would write in the afternoon and we didn't write in a kind of night session. We were drinking or something. That wasn't what we did. We might smoke some weed in the day when we're rehearsing, but mainly it's business. And we got a lot done and we had, and I was very prolific. I had a lot of different ideas and we were able to really work them out in a lab setting, which is nice in a band setting. Like the way, you know, historically music is written, you get one guy or two guys who come in with a couple parts and then you play it a million times and flesh it out. And that is exactly what we did. And it's that way that I believe you get the best results. Technology today, of course, allows us to write at home, and it's awesome. You can send tracks around and files around. Y'all don't even have to even go to the rehearsal space to do it. That also is really cool. Works very well, especially if you're out of town and you need to get something done. I would argue that it does not replace 
everybody standing in a room and playing it over and over and working out your parts and just hashing through it. If you play a song a hundred times, you will get to something cool. And we had 11 or 12 or 13 songs. We really didn't have a whole lot of excess for the record. And we had, there was kind of a theme that was happening quickly and easily. We were getting amazing tracks and, and performances from Jason Gherkin, who was playing like himself. He had adopted the role of Shiner drummer and he, now he knew it. And now we were writing music that he was a part of the writing. And Paul had come into his own sound so much more. It's um, his bass tone is very, it's so huge in the, the sound of Shiner. It really came to, it was crystallized at that time. It was already happening before then, his tuning and his sound, but it really, he was able to really make it speak for him. And Josh Newton, his, the addition of Josh and him adding all the parts on these, the Shiner songs, like, were like, they really changed it. They put it into a whole level of professionalism and class and musicality that we had not had, I, you know, because I was always hammering away on guitar trying to do too much and this allowed me to play less and for josh to make these really beautiful melody lines that really transformed a lot of songs and so it was a really good thing it was a late late innings kind of uh late in the game kind of comeuppance that we had had for the egg and we were hot as shit you know it was really good the shows started coming back around they were we were always fine but we had renewed interest we were doing tours with other bands, Engine Down, Area Graham, and uh, Death Cab for Cutie asked us out for some cool, about two weeks of shows, and that was great. And so we were really firing on all cylinders, and and uh, DeSoto Records was releasing the records, so we're back with DeSoto. That's Kim Coletta and Bill Barbo from Jawbox, and part of the DC Machine. And, um, you know, so we had several great tours we went to europe as soon as the as soon as the record came out we went there in october of 2001 so to say that we almost canceled the tour after september 11th of 2001 you can guarantee that almost happened we were so close to scrapping this tour with a band called ina from spain that i'm so glad we did not um because they're great that's a-i-n-a ina they were so good and still great old homies of ours and we had a six-week tour of all over the continent and on and in england also and we so we left right before halloween and got back on december 15th and it was you know it was a long ass time to be in europe right after 9-11 you know things are things were fucked up you know, I mean, you th- it was really, it was a, a, a weird moment in time and nobody knew what was happening and we weren't going to let the terrorists win. And that's yeah. something <laughs> that, that, so, no, that was a thing. There was crazy stuff going on. I remember being up in New York city, like a month after nine 11 for a gig and someone like threw something in the street and they shut the street down and cops swarmed in like shit was crazy. Was it like, was it crazy over in Europe too? No, no. Okay. Everybody was kind of <laughs> laughing at us. <laughs> everybody was kind of laughing at us they were like yeah it finally happened uh, you know yeah, they, yeah. They, you know it's just if if you've been to europe you know that they see um, americans as kind of goofy and arrogant and loud and you know we are and you know largely we are so um and 
so we were kind of getting what was coming and they've all been dealing with, you know, much of a lot of places have dealt with all kinds of crazy shit that we have been, you know, kind of, um, haven't had to deal with as much. So, uh, we, we toured a lot. We did that. We came back. We, you know, we started on tour again in 2002 after we got back from Europe and we had some, that was engine down and area gram and, um, um, death cab and all that whole time. And that touring through 2002, it was a probably six or eight months of touring. And then the vibe was getting weird and we were having, there was tension and there's, you know, just like, there's always, there's like five reasons bands break up. It's money, creative stuff, girls, drugs, booze, you know, that's, it's like, you can, that's pretty much it. You can, you can go down the flow chart of any one of those and it would be probably one of those. And yeah, so we just weren't having as much fun anymore. Um, we went out, we were, and so we were having our friends, Ina over f- the same guys who took us on tour from Spain, who took us on tour in Europe. We had them over for a tour in, I want to say summer, late summer of 2002. And it was fine. And something was off. Our vibe was off. We were just weren't having fun. And then we ended up like hitting a deer or something. And uh, that we were like, Oh, fuck it. We're like, let's go home. You know, we probably could have made it to up to Omaha to Sokol underground and do this show. We were like, fuck it. Nobody was feeling it. And we didn't, we were just, I, I don't know. There was a feeling of, there was a tense kind of tense in the band and we weren't just weren't having as much fun and life's too short. So, right. So how does the conversation happen? Does everyone just agree this is it? Or does one person just say, like, I can't do it anymore? What happens? Oh, I think we took a few weeks off from practicing. And then we finally were like, well, we should probably get back and have practice, trying to start writing. He was like, and um, Josh was like, yeah, I might not. I don't know. And, and I was like, yeah, I don't know. And like, and so it was kind of a passive aggressive breakup. Um, I didn't, and I wasn't into replacing Josh anymore and it, and, um, or at all, I didn't want any more people in the band. I didn't want to go in through another thing and, you know, it's creative stuff. And it, it really, it lifted a burden at that minute to, to break up. I know a lot of people were surprised. Um, but we were like, it definitely lifted a burden from me, you know, and I, it allowed me to just like unload tons of music over the next six months i started writing with another drummer mike myers and um i had music instantly you know i probably wrote 40 songs in six months so wow and this is what became life and times yes yep yeah so how was your mindset different going into life and times like how what did you want to do differently uh i want to stop fighting the music i wanted to let it happen more freely i i was i wanted to stop looking for the most interesting a chord i could find and just kind of write a song i was more it was more concerned about melodies and and overall vibe and just and not being i feel like a lot of shiner's music is with like tense shoulders you know people who have tense shoulders you walk up behind them and they're like you know some of that stuff (laughs) from that time um and um i wanted to write music that came from relaxed shoulders and um still has a certain edge to it but was more flowing and you know a lot of it was just like the person just the people we were playing with i needed a a break 
Um, and so I, I, I feel like I definitely found it. I wanted to be able to, ex- to expand the sound of what I can do and sing in different ways. And it, you know, I, I realize now I can do that with Shiner too, um, as we've reformed. But like at that time, it definitely was a huge balm for the soul to be able to write differently. And, um, I mean, I was, I was working in like built to spill type of things, you know, for that first, first record and, and much more heady kind of music than, than Shiner was doing. And I, I love it. There's life and time stuff. There's, I actually have the phenomenon of not having really any cringe moments throughout any of the records. You know how we can go back and listen to your old records and you're like, ah, I wish I'd done that. Oh, God damn yeah. it. Ah, fuck it. Skip this song. Skip this song. You know, you're like, you don't want to hear certain songs because it'll bring you back to a certain moment where you, you wish it. He's like, ah, fuck. Why did I do that? You know? Yeah. I, I have to say, I don't have those on Life and Times records. Um, and I, we had gotten to the point where we were just like writing in a, in a really kind of, uh, we were busy writing and, and we're flowing. Once we had made the lineup and gotten the lineup for, Life and Times set with Eric Abert and with Chris Metcalf, we could write in a lab setting just like there in the rehearsal room, just like very well. You know, you were, I was back to being a three-piece. That was really freeing. I love what a three-piece can do. You know, those bands I'm talking about before, U2 is a three-piece, you know, instrumentally, REM three-piece, The Police three-piece. Right. I, I love those bands and how they are able to cover ground with all their instruments and the way they do it, you know? And, um, so we took different aspects of each of those bands with like bass chords and that kind of thing from REM and the idea of where the bass guitar carries the melody. And then you can put the high guitar just kind of ambient on top, like the police would do a lot. Um, and the later police material, you know, Andy Summers is just, you know, kind of ethereal over the top. And, um, and also the U2 vibe of the kind of delay he was using and, and those, you know, we just, we like the vibe of a lot of that. So, um, that's where life and times really was born out of, you know, nothing really that cool. Honestly, there was, <laughs> it's, you know, no, I think it's very cool. I agree with you. I know when a life and times release is coming out, that's going to be good. I just know it. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Yes. I actually uh I actually got into the bands backwards. I actually discovered the Life and Times first around 2009 when Tragic Bogie came out and then I discovered Shiner after that. Nice. I think that's a lot of people's story. Yeah. One of the one of the beauties of restarting a band like with Life and Times was getting asked out on tour again. And so Shiner were just this kind of like old dudes and this behemoth and we got all this stuff and people don't want to have you out on tour as much, you know, <laughs> but some young band with just a three piece, you can pop up and we didn't need a big guarantee. We were instantly, we started going out with, we were out with Sparta and with like engine down. We went out with murder by death and Pelican and mono and apple seed cast. And um, yeah, a lot of different bands and different. And we're just, we're very, modular kind of thing we can fit on any stage we had our own lights and we're just a lot easier to have out on tour in a way because we also didn't need 
a huge guarantee. You can pay us, you know, 250, 300 bucks and we'll, Hey, sure. Great. You know? And so that was really refreshing at a time when I, you know, I was just having kids and, you know, that whole thing. That's an, I was going to say, that's another great thing about life and times is you can fit on pretty much any bill. You could play with a heavier band like Pelican. You could play with Sparta. You're just going to fit. Yeah, we had, there's a certain, uh, we definitely, we could fit in different bills. We we could do different things. We toured with Get Up Kids for three weeks, you know, it was really interesting. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it does have more, can cover more ground um, with different types of bands. And uh, I'm, like I say, I'm really proud of everything Life and Times has done. Very much so. How were those shows with the Get Up Kids? I remember seeing that tour announced and I was like, wow, what a bill. They were really cool. Um, well, I think we sold three shirts the entire tour. So uh, it was <laughs> people, they were, it was a reunion tour for the Get Up Kids. Um, and so the tickets were inflated and everybody wanted their Get Up Kids merchandise and wasn't a whole lot of money left over for that. The response we got for from the crowds was great and people were really very receptive and uh kevin divine was out on that tour and we had his guitarist um came out and played a song with us every night one of the songs he loved so that was really cool but i remember losing my ass on that tour it was a three-week tour and we yeah so it was one of those tours you that you do for more reasons than money uh so it's one of those deals where you take a loss but it's going to lead to bigger things for sure for sure gotcha Got you. Yep. I always wanted to ask you on Lost Bees. There's a song called Maserati. Is it called that because it sounds like the band Maserati? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and I, was, there, I was hoping so. And there's a song called Passion Pit, which is which is named after the band Passion Pit because we thought the song sounded like that. Um, and so yeah, yeah, we just we didn't care. We we just did what we wanted to do. I love that so much because in every band I've ever been in, the song starts with the name of the band. It sounds like like this is Ink and Dagger song. This is Botch song. This is Jets to Brazil song. But you guys just kept that name. That's so good. Uh, we just we got to the time and we were just like, fuck it. I don't know. Just leave it. It's fine. <laughs> who, who cares? You know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'll stand by it. They're, they're both great bands. We were ripping off. And, and so, you know. It's all good. Maserati is unbelievable. Yeah, good dudes. Yeah. And uh, Shiner has a song called Giant's Chair. Same thing? Actually, no. That that one is a different scenario. They are... It just happened to work for the, um, for the lyrical narrative for that song. And it really kind of, you know, from this chair of mine, I can rule the world, you know, about a... Yeah, it, it has connotations with the the uh, lyrical narrative is like about relationship with somebody. It was about a friend of mine, actually, from his point of view. I got you. Yeah. I got you. So Shiner broke up in 2003. The initial reunion was in 2012. Yes. Yep. So talk about how that came together. I mean, had you been in touch with everybody? Did we have a good relationship? What was going on? Um, yeah, mostly solid relationship with everybody. It, t it took a year or two or three for us to kind of get back to me like, Hey, how you doing? Kind of thing. Um, Paul and I really never stopped, um, in our working relationships. Paul tracked all of suburban hymns and he also tracked all of lost bees. No, we tracked lost bees and he tracked all of the last record and, uh, and mixed a lot of it too. 
so yeah, we have we have uh, he, we've continued working out, and when we go to L.A., we'd always stay with Gherkin and destroy our livers with Gherkin. And Josh and I would keep in contact and send each other things, texts over the over the years, and keep in, and always keep up. And then um, we we knew that lost that uh, the egg was coming up for a reunion and you know a ten year anniversary, and so we thought. We would poke around, so we had our booking agent Tim Edwards from also from Flower Booking. Um, he started poking around, and turns out the offers were exorbitant, and they were in really big rooms. So we were like, "Well, maybe we should do it." And we set up four shows. One was at the Gramercy Theater in New York, and the, yes. other, one, the other one was Good Room, and the other one was at Echo Echoplex in L.A. And then we went to the Granada Theater in Lawrence, Kansas, outside Kansas City. And then we went up to Chicago at Bottom Lounge, the later Bottom Lounge, the one that's there now, and uh, right on Lake Street. But uh, so, yeah, they were really very well attended, big crowds, bigger crowds than we ever had played as a as a working band. He's like, oh, all you got to do is be a band for 10 years, hang around and do it again in 10 years, you know, and people <laughs> will come out. So it was really, it was a big lesson for us. We, we had a really good time doing it was, it was difficult. The, the, the rehearsal session was difficult. We, we, and it was kind of a kitchen sink set list. Cause we didn't know if we were ever going to do it again. Turns out we did it again the next two years later and then three years later. And then after that, we are a new band. So, but uh, we didn't realize that then. So the set lists were really huge. And so it was two or three days of practicing in a, and a it was basically a storage unit that was owned by Josh Newton and uh Joe from Fallout Boy. I'm blanking his last name, the guitarist in Fallout Boy. Josh had a band with him. Josh worked for Fallout Boy and he was homies with him, good friends. He was his tech. It was their rehearsal space and it was very small. And we got in there and we were not doing anything. We weren't chugging beers. There was no there was no like good old times. We were just in there chopping wood trying to remember these songs you know and so it was like four by six size room and um we churned it out for four days of rehearsal and then did the and did then did the gramercy theater show and it was a big success so only four days of rehearsal leading up to that show we were all supposed to have arrived with our chops intact and (laughs) they were there was varying levels of that so you know, it's really refreshing to hear that because like I still go to band practice and I'm like, all right, this is going to be the day. Everybody's going to be ready, including myself. And no one ever is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's part of it. You know, it's, it's a flawed, it's a flawed thing that we, that we're trying to do here and you make the best out of it. You keep, keep sweeping up every day and after a while it comes together. So Shiner released a new record in 2020, Schadenfreude, one of your best. Talk about how that came together. I mean, we were broken up for a long time. We're playing reunion gigs and we're just gigging more between 2012 and 2018. How do we decide we're going to write new music? And was that scary at all? I mean, it had been a long time since we've all written together and released something. Yeah, it was a little weird. Uh, in 2017, we we did a we did a reissue of Starless on vinyl. And that's what all of our reunion shows were based around vinyl reissues that we hadn't had earlier. A lot of our stuff was on compact discs. So we have vinyl of Star of the Egg in 2012, vinyl of 
Starless in 2014, and then the vinyl of Lula Divinia in 2017. It was Lula Divinia. And um, so on that tour, we invited Tim Dow to come out and do the shows with us. So we put together a handful of them, and we went to the last one was in Chicago at Thalia Hall, and we played in the round on the floor. And we had, at this time, we were just really kind of starting to have a really great time together, really enjoying our each other and enjoying the vibe and all the guys and we'd all kind of looked at each other at some point and said we should probably shit or get off the pot here everybody's everybody's keeps coming to the reunion shows but we need to have new music you know so i think it started in kind of like 2018 where you know i'm sitting at home and you play guitar for a while you know you play for like what I like to do is just kind of like set aside, you know, an hour or something a day for a week or so and kind of try and record, you know, and just kind of like riff and play and just throw some sand around the sandbox. It really is super simple. It's it's nothing more than just something the same way a baby might play, you know? Uh, and so you start playing something that sounds neato. And I don't know, I, I, how do you find what Shiner is again? So I just kind of took a very deliberate stab at it. Um, And so the very first thing we came up with was the song that turned out to be Paul P. Poe on on Schadenfreude. Um, So it's on the record. So that was the very first thing we were able to kind of everybody wrap around. And I did a a guitar and I did some bass on it. But basically it was just guitar and bass kind of showing the outline of the song of what I had. And then we worked it all out together in practice. And then over the ensuing months, Josh had sent me some stuff. And this was a great opportunity for us because Josh hadn't earlier wasn't having whole ideas and songs and things like that. But over the past 10 years, we had gotten, he'd gotten better at writing. He spent a lot of time playing with Every Time I Die and From Autumn to Ashes and Reggie and the Full Effect and all just all kinds of, he'd been very busy, you know, in addition. So he'd also really grown his chops. And he started having really cool parts that were super usable. I was like, I can sing to this. Cool. I'll do this. I'll do the next section and send it back. And we, we were able to collaborate through the use of technology, you know, which was, you know, like I'm saying, it's a beautiful thing. Um, and then we got to do the way I like to do it, which we get, we get every, all together with a few ideas and then chop it up and hash it out all together you know in real time and so we were able to get the best of both worlds initially sharing ideas through the the tubes and wires and then through and then standing in a room together sweating it out for a few days at a time and we had a few of those sessions and so josh initially had sent over the song that became in the end and he had sent over a song that became low-hanging fruit they're both on schadenfreude and so i was able i was just like delighted that we were able to kind of make this happen and um, work together in this way. You know, a lot of people think that I'm pretty heavy handed and I'm a control freak and I kind of am, but I'm also not like if somebody's got ideas, I love working with them and writing, singing on them. I sang on the Pelican records. I sang with uh, the Jade Shader and Molly McGuire and spotlights. And you, if you give me a song to work on, I love doing what I can do on their stuff. You know what I mean? So it was easier for me to work with Josh this time. And we, he and I were kind of co-writing on a lot of this stuff, which is really cool and a different way. And we, we all always wrote together, you know, and everybody gets credit. I was always the seed writer, but on several of these songs, Josh is the seed writer, 
and it was a nice mix of 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 that stuff so really good um and so the, you know we we came up late in the mix was a song called life as a mannequin and that was one of mine and it really solidified us and it and it it was the one that made us think oh shit this is really good it's not just some dudes getting back and rocking out again it turned out to be really good so with that one and in the end on Josh's tune and genuflect we had the the we had the genesis of like some really really fucking strong music that we felt very strongly about it must be very exciting because you know it sounds just as good if not better i would argue better schadenfreude yeah i mean you really nailed it we sound great you were rehearsing at a matt talbot studio right yeah we would kind of gather at matt's several times because it was it's a nice kind of meeting place about six hours for those guys josh would fly in from la and i would drive down from chicago and it was a nice middle place for us to kind of hash it out and we can stay upstairs in the apartment and um we weren't tracking there we were just rehearsing you know and so it matt didn't have to come in and do anything and it was it just was a really pleasant atmosphere and life and times has done that a lot also we've done it for i mean i've been using matt's studio in fact the egg was the very first record recorded at matt's studio at earth analog wow yep that was the one we had uh, Jason Livermore and Jay Robbins on. And so when we, when we got back together and started playing some of these tunes, you know, you've got Gherkin, Jason Gherkin is just like, a, he's just a next level drummer. You know, he's every drummer's worst nightmare or, uh, <laughs> uh, his, the epitome of that, you know, he's a, he's a drummer's drummer. And, but it was really Paul's sound that when it comes in and starts rumbling, it sounds like this giant, distorted symphony you know and it's brilliant and it was like instantly us we started playing this stuff and um it you know not every song worked out but we ended up with a few we had probably wrote 12 things we took some old things uh, we probably wrote 12 songs we ended up with eight or something on the record eight or nine i can't remember how it was on there but yeah it felt really good yeah, I mean it's it's great. Two titans working side by side. You're writing Schadenfreude. Hum is secretly working on their new album, which was great, you know. And every everything just turned out fantastic. Yeah, relatively. There's been some there's been some heartbreak and tragedy along the way, especially in in Hum, of course. Oh but, yeah, um, absolutely. But With Brian, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's a really. I mean, they made an insanely beautiful record and. I'm just really glad. I think our working on it and they knew that we were working and had already lapped them because they were, we knew they were working on it for a long time. They were working on their last record, um, whatever the name, what it's called. Inlet. Inlet. I think. Inlet. Yeah. yeah. Is, uh, they were, I think they were working on it for five or six years for a while. And I, we heard wow. some early stuff. So kind of picking at it, you know, and Matt's got a lot. Of, I, I mean, I think I have a lot of irons in the fire. Matt has a lot of fucking irons in the fire. <laughs> He's got a lot of shit going on and, um, you know, we like it that way. It, it also gives us a, uh, an excuse when we fail. So it's like, uh, <laughs> it's like, um, it's a fear of success thing. Stay way too busy. So then when it doesn't work out, then you can blame it on being way too busy. Yeah. I, I am of that mindset too. Yeah. You know, it, it must've been great to have Matt for your hundredth podcast episode too, right? Because I know you guys are friends, but he doesn't do any podcasts. So there must be a, a good satisfaction in having him as a guest for your show. Yeah, it was great. 
um i had to talk him into it kind of tell him how it would go and yeah he, he was he was very willing and a lovely man it turned out great fitzgerald's was lovely for it we had about 150 people in there and then he and the conversation i felt was great um i'd never like held court in front of a, a crowd just talking before you know you walk out without a guitar and you gotta you gotta talk for a while it, um it actually came quite natural so i enjoyed it and then and then we had the conversation and matt was lovely and very forthright and forthcoming and this was a week after brian st Pierre had passed so and um i said well i you know my text to him that day or a couple days after that was hey let's do this another time um you know let's let's find another time when this is blah blah blah. can this doesn't matter at all blah blah he said well i talked to the boss and she thinks i should do this and i think i should too so let's do this and so I his wife think, right yeah and so we were you know um I just can't thank him enough for doing it. It was a really a lovely conversation. And then he played afterward and, um, you know, held the crowd in his hand. His, his new music is really, really stirring and very intimate. And it's familiar, but it's really powerful. And uh, many people will love his new stuff. He's working on a new solo record, too. I can't wait to hear that. Yep. Is it uh is it like a logistics nightmare doing a live podcast? I cuz I think I have a, what's it called misophonia cuz if if I'm recording with someone and I hear any sound I go nuts. So like if you're in a bar or a restaurant in front of 100 people is it just like is there a lot of background noise? Is there a lot of stuff to overcome? No, I don't worry about that shit too much. I like I, see. I have I just have gotten myself into the mode of when I talk to people whatever feed they want to give me I will take it whether they're talking on their iPhone or whether we're doing a FaceTime or Zoom or whether they have microphones. I don't care. And and because as I do when I'm listening to other podcasts, sometimes the audio from this person is a little weird. And yeah. but you forget after a while. As long as it's not too dog shit, it, it can kind of put you in a in a place, you know, and you can kind of see what's going on. So no, I didn't sweat any of the background noise i loved all the laughing and talking and all through that there was some clinking of glasses and shit but who cares you know it's not the moth you know it's like <laughs> um and even on moth story hour the people are like you know there's a you're in a live room it's it's i, I want that you know I, I don't want them to talk over it. i knew we had direct mics right in front of us and so they were going to get the conversation i so no it wasn't really an issue at all we had it was just a really lovely night all the way around that's great. That's mm -hmm. awesome. And and Matt really loved it. It was really quite cathartic. And he and I had a big hug right after. It was just like really great. He and I are very much simpatico. Um, we're both kind of control freaks. You know, we both have too much going on, too much to really pay attention to the other guy too much. Like, oh, yeah, cool. You got a new record, huh? Okay, cool. Yeah, I got. Did I tell you about my new record? I got a new thing, you know, and so we're both yeah. we're both uh, caught in our own things that we do so but um you know we love each other deeply probably known him we're probably looking at 30 years now i reckon we met in you know 93 yeah and i'm glad that uh you were able to have that conversation so soon after the passing of brian because i mean i'm sure it helped matt to a degree and i i would have just been a, a nervous wreck like oh god do i still ask him to the, do this do i not but you know you gave him the out but it's good mm -hmm. i think it's good that that conversation still happened for sure yeah yeah it was it was cathartic on all levels and you know we we got to it and i don't remember how it was even phrased but you know we we brought it up and he he 
we talk a little bit, but it didn't have to be. It was like you, everyone already knew what had happened. And so all the conversation, if you didn't know what had happened, you might not even have an idea really. <laughs> if you yeah. were just like a first time listener, you didn't know. And you, I think I prefaced it a little bit. I did a pre setup for this, maybe let people know, but, um, yeah, it was just like something that kind of fell out and we talked, we talked on it for a minute. I mean, it was amazing that he was willing to come up and do it, you know, literally seven days after Brian's passing. So, right. Very grateful. So Alan, you also perform with the blue man group. Yes, I do. Now, I, I have a logistics question about this. Do you get painted right on your skin, or is there some kind of covering? How does that work? And and is it a pain to put on every time? I should clarify, I'm not a blue man. Oh, well, you probably have insider info about how it works, right? I do. I am in the band, uh, and we float in a loft above the stage. I play an instrument called bass guitar. Okay, so I, I thought the band was painted too. So there's the, there's like separate blue men, and then there's a band. The band is painted in kind of shamanistic neon under a black light, okay. and um, yeah, the full time blue men are actors, and they're like you you they're not trained. They're not. We don't bring them on as musicians. We you can teach an actor to play some of the instruments, but you can't teach a musician to be an actor. I understand. Yes. So the trained blue men are actors that are also in many other things and work on television and film and are filmmakers on their own. And they're, that's a full time gig. And it is like, it is a soul. It really zaps them. Like a whole performance is a lot. Like the performance for me, we can kind of, we, it takes less concentration from us, although it is taxing. Um, for me to do two shows in a day is a lot for two shows for a blue man is gargantuan, yes. but many of them do it. But the blue men are like really talented actors and they're trained in clown stuff and mime and in the blue man school. And it takes about six months to even graduate out of it. Not school, but it's like a training. If you get hired and you go to the blue man facility, you know, they'll, they'll train you for six months and then they'll send you out to some city, sometimes in Chicago to try and work in with one of the troops. And many of them do not make it. They just get fired. And so, um, that's, well, not fired though. You know, they'll work that out maybe, but it's a very difficult gig and one that's long running. One thing I did not know about the blue man group. If you only have seen it in passing and there's a bunch of blue dickheads who <laughs> beating on everything it's a lot of the vignettes and the way they are. If you can stay and just watch the show, it's amazingly funny. And there it's just is a hilarious show. And the blue men are somewhere between the three stooges and three cats. And, you know, it really is a vaudeville show in a lot of ways it's updated, but you know, the band floats above the stage. There's three of us. There's a drummer that has all kinds of pads and all kinds of shit. And then I play in the middle. I play bass guitar and an instrument called the Chapman stick, which is a bass and guitar hybrid. Um, and that's mainly what we use. And then there's another instrument and that gentleman plays guitar and an instrument called the electric zither. And it is highly difficult and super complex. And so a lot of the people I play with are from Berkeley and University of Miami and these really highly decorated players. I don't know why I got hired. 
Um, I'm a fine player. I'm better. I'm a, I'm a better songwriter than I am proficient player, but, um, I did good enough to, to know the gig. You know, I know music. I was a music major in college. And, um, so I know music, not that we're reading a ton of music, but you have to be able to elevate and play on another level. And you're not, they're not asking to hear how much Alan Epley I can inject into my part. They just need me to, (laughs) to be a pro. You know, no one wants to hear some sad chord or me to inflect some sort of bullshit. It's not a, it's not about me at all. No one knows me there. And it's just as like, I mean, I, the people in the troop all know me and we're all like really good friends and compadres, of course. But, um, yeah, it's about being a pro. And so that's, what's been really nice, but that's a job. That's, that's more, that's more like a job. That's where I get my benefits and my retirement income and things like that. So I I don't consider that uh, while it is a unicorn existence, being able to have that gig, I don't consider that one of my like creative outlets, if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, you know? that's that's what's paying the bills and keeping you safe with uh, insurance. Exactly. And, and it's yeah. one that I really love doing. To be able to work in the theater is just like amazing. I really love it, but it is definitely a job. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's talk about what we've got coming up. Do we have more coming from Shiner? Do we have more coming from Life and Times? Lay it on us. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we're going to, Shiner is going to meet in December. We're going to do a couple shows, one in Kansas city and one in Minneapolis with our old friends in a band called Houston. They're from Minneapolis and you should look those guys up there. Uh, so that will be really good. And then we will spend the next three or four days after that, having one of those writing sessions that we had back in 2018 when we were starting schadenfreude. So, uh, yeah, we're going to get together and start the process again. Um, life and times. Um, has maybe 12 songs we could call from to make a new record from where we left off in 2020. Eric moved to St. Our bass player, Eric Abert moved to St. Louis to start working with his brother, you know, deep in the pandemic at that time, nobody knows what the fuck is going on and when it's going to end. And there was no end in sight. He had just gotten married. And so he went down to work um, with his brother. He's got a really great printing business, a digital printing business with about a hundred employees. And so Eric, jumped in that business there and it really has been a godsend for him and so they were they just had a child last year which is great young wade abert he was trying to name it alan epley abert but i said eric no (laughs) don't name him alan epley and so he didn't he named him wade abert and is a lovely young man and so now they just bought a house in collinsville down there where eric is from so eric is i'm certainly not laying the blame on Eric, but he's very busy at this moment. I've been doing Shiner and the pandemic has really kind of thrown everything off two years. So we would probably be deep in a, in a life and times tour at this point, um, had the pandemic not happened. Right. But that, that messed everything up. It, you know, uh, you know, my, my stupid schedule is the least of the things that matter in this whole, in this whole thing. So, you know, we just, everybody has have patience and humility and, a sense of humor and and know that we're going to keep doing it. Chris Metcalf is here in town and he and I are close friends, our drummer. And, um, he's just, um, a lovely man and we want to make music. It's, it's not the same when we go to rock together without Eric. So we like to wait for that. Um, and I've just been so busy with Shiner too. It's just been like that, you know, it's been a thing. 
And of course, Third Gear Scratcher podcast. How often is, is that weekly or how often does that air? In a perfect scenario, it's weekly. I have, yeah. I, I miss um, when I go out on tour. If I'm not, you know, it's difficult to get it uploaded and, and do all the stuff you got to do, all the, you know, pre show, pre streaming editing, you know. So it's yeah. like there's some shit to be done and uh, I can't do it on tour nearly as well. And um, so I generally try to just wait. Um, but yeah, try to do it weekly. Um, there's a couple other things kind of floating around right now. I have a band called bird hands that I wrote over the pandemic that I started with Ian Prince, my friend from that band Houston, we were talking about, um, he and I, it's a two piece and we, uh, put out a, a record. Jay Robbins mixed it. We, we finished it over the pandemic and, um, Jay Robbins from Jawbox mixed it and it is banging. Please go check that out at the, our band camp it's birdhands1.bandcamp.com and we just did three shows we played with a band called russian circle some old friend of ours oh yes some friends of ours and it was that was in minneapolis then we played st louis and then we played with jawbox the other day at riot fest wow and so yeah so birdhands is doing very well and that was right before our the shiner tour and then um another more fruit from the pandemic is my uh solo record which is coming out on spartan records in at the top of the of the year and January 6th. So, Oh, great. Um, and it's pretty different. Uh, I would, it still definitely sounds like Alan Epley. Um, but it is a different vibe and, um, more chill and, and I, I it's really welcome music for me and I, I love it and I think people will dig it. So that's coming. Excellent. There's a lot to look forward to. There's a lot to dig into now and I'm excited about it. So Alan, I mean, look, you've done so much. Every band has been a home run. I've been listening to you for years. And uh, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time and coming on the show. Keith, thank you, man. This was a pleasure. This was a lot of fun. I get to go back through my memories, good and bad, and I'll scrub them. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we do here. That's what we do, scrub memories. And there you have it, Alan Epley. Amazing conversation. I mean, the amount of good music that this man has produced between Shiner and Life and Times and everything else he's done is just, it's its inconceivable. Like, Shiner has no bad albums. Life and Times have no bad albums. You can listen to any one of them and, and be satisfied. A hundred percent. 120% agree. And uh, we we got some breaking news earlier. In in addition to a Shiner tattoo, Adam also has a Life and Times tattoo. Yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, when I was talking about that earlier, my wife sent me a text reminding me of the uh the Life and Times tattoo I also have. So, yes. Yeah, but it was a great conversation. I'm glad I had the opportunity to uh to talk with Alan and we really got into all of it and like it was like he mentioned at the end, you know, all everything good and bad. And I said, like, yes, that's that's what we do here. We get into the the nitty gritty here at the new scene. How did you feel about the conversation with Alan, Josh? All the band member changes and just all the stories about like labels. And like, I, I just thought he was really honest, uh, like telling me like, oh, man, like we probably messed that up. But then it ended up being a positive 
Um, that was kind of a great little part of the story, I thought. Yeah, yeah, he was, uh, he's very no-nonsense. You know, I can tell just by talking to him that he's just very no-nonsense, straightforward. And I like his podcast, too, Third Gear Scratch. Like, I listened to the episode with uh, Shiner Tour Stories. You know, Shiner went out on a tour, and then Alan comes back and records a podcast. And you hear it all straight from the horse's mouth. He just gives you the stories. So it's a great outlet if you want more from Alan and Shiner and, you know, just to hear more stories directly from Alan. Plus, he got Matt Talbot on his podcast. Can you believe it? That's pretty cool. That's definitely cool. Yeah. That's like the white horse that nobody can get. And he did it. Now, is that... I didn't even realize, though, that he was like that private. Um, so he doesn't do any interviews at all. I ha- I know he doesn't do any podcasts. I know some of the bigger podcasts have tried to get him and he just doesn't do it. I don't know... I don't know about like print interviews or other video stuff. I haven't really looked into it. Guess he is kind of quiet. So uh, I've got a good Alan story. Now, uh, I saw the Life and Times back in 2009. It was the first time I saw them. Now, I used to be really obnoxious at shows. I, I was like desperate for attention and also an alcoholic which is a terrible combination. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I, I would do my signature move would be uh, a band would like after their first or second song, I would yell out one more song, which is just a terrible thing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I thought I was really funny, but I wasn't. And so I, I saw the life and times and I had had, quite a few drinks and then you know life and times finished their first or second song and i yelled out one more song and without any hesitation alan snaps back sounds like someone's going through puberty wow <laughs> oh that's perfect i i remember my first beer <laughs> yeah i shut up for the rest of the night and uh he he really put me in my place and listen to any band i've ever done that to i apologize I used to think I was really funny, and I was desperate for attention, and uh, I'm not that funny. So there you go. Live and learn. That's oh, funny, because I, I have an early Allen experience, too. It was, I mean, it was when Life and Times, it was on their first EP, their first, probably their first tour. They were coming through Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and um, you know, I just had to go, because it was the first thing that Alan was doing since the end of Shiner. And I was just all in. And, you know, I work at a screen printing shop and, uh, I, you know, I knew they were coming. So I, I took it upon myself to print them up like, like a thousand stickers for, for like the life and times. And I, I went to the show and I took it to them and I just overly fanboyed out and, (laughs) And then I thought, I mean, I was just so embarrassed just going home like that later that night. Just, I mean, because you don't want to be that guy. You know, I've, I, you know, playing shows with Hope's Fall every once in a while, you, you know, you might get someone who's overly enthusiastic and it's, you know, and it's great, but you just don't want to be that guy. And I was totally that guy. And I felt like I was taking up way too much of his time, trying to talk to him way too much. And then me and Josh fly out to Chicago to to go see a Shiner reunion in 2012, I think it was. Yep. And 
I end up doing the fucking exact same thing. And like, <laughs> so like, like I've just not had a good history of, of meeting Alan. Like, and Alan, if you're, if you're listening back to your own podcast and you're listening this far, like, dude, I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> like I'm, I'm chill, dude. Like, yeah, I overdid it. Let's start over. All right. All right. Good <laughs> Third deal. time's the charm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You just love Alan too much. You you have to like uh, desensitize yourself a bit more. I do. And you know, yeah. I, I'm a little older now and I get it, you know, so. When you get older and you learn, you know, like I used to be drunk or high or both all the time. So I would always act weird around everybody, especially musicians that I looked up to. Like I remember uh, I saw a Garrett Klon, uh solo show that's a uh, garage from texas is the reason and he was like my favorite forever and after the show I, I was like drunk and i had like my arm around him and i was like man you're the best uh i started a band and i wanted it to sound like texas is the reason and i i could just like flash back and see he was nice like he was really nice he didn't say like get off of me or why are you hanging on to me you know so i i i'm happy that he was gracious about it but i've i've done like tons of stupid stuff like that even on this podcast in the early days i would do this thing where like for the last like 10 minutes of the interview i would tell somebody like how much i like them and that's not the best thing to do because i think as a whole artists are mostly uncomfortable with people telling them how great they are not because they're ungrateful but because it's just uncomfortable like even when uh people tell me really nice things about the show like this show it makes me really uncomfortable so the move is to just be cool, say a quick thanks, and get out. I think that's it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that. That I'd like to think that's my mo, but I'm sure I've done the exact same thing multiple times. You know, like I can't off the top of my head remember who right now, but probably at least every time I die, like at some point on those tours back in the day. Oh yeah, you you did, dude. Yeah. 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 I'm sure that I did. Wouldn't that have been a great question to ask, Alan? Like. Did you ever meet someone, you know, a musical hero and you and you fanboyed out? That's a good question because I can't imagine Alan doing that. Yeah, like he's above like seriously, he's so above everyone. <laughs> In my mind. Yeah. Okay. He just seems he just seems too cool yeah. to like ever do that. So it would be really interesting if he had done that before. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and you you reminded me, uh one of my favorite parts of the conversation. I always wanted to ask him on the One Shiner record, there's that song called Maserati. And I was like, it has to be because this song sounds like the band Maserati. And it did. It was true. Yep. And I'm glad you asked him about uh, Giant's Chair because I was always wondering that. I was like, is that just a coincidence that they're like, there's another Midwestern band called Giant's Chair? Like, does that have anything to do with it? And I, you know, I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, I, I assumed based on the lyrics that it didn't, but I was kind of always wondering. So yeah, good call on that one. Yeah, it was good to get to the bottom of some of that stuff. But I love all the music. And uh, it was really great to talk to Alan. So thank you, Alan. Excellent conversation. So Adam, Josh, now that I have you both here, let's check in and talk about how we are doing. Now, Hope's Fall recently celebrated 20 years of the satellite years. I mean, how does that feel? 
Is your mind blown? Looking back, saying, where did the time go? How did this happen? What wild ride have I been taking on? How did I end up here? Uh, let's start with Josh. Yeah, man. Like, uh, it's it's funny because we were we were talking about it the other day when the when the twenty year was coming up and and uh, Adam brought up this old YouTube video that he edited of like the footage of us making that record and there's like a six minute video of it on YouTube. Um, but I went back and watched that and I was like, oh my god, we're, we were so young back then. Uh, like just the interactions that we had with Matt, I just remember the I remember the good portions of the recording session with him and uh and then i remember us talking about how like that's how we initially found out that matt had a studio because we were looking in the egg and it's written in there and we were just like oh great western recorder studio because that's what it used to be called um now he's got now it's called earth analog but anyway it was a shiner that uh kind of turned us on to the fact that like matt talbot was doing work in the industry and that was a possibility good tie-in yeah adam your thoughts yeah. Um, you know, just reflecting on, um, you know, as the 20 year anniversary just, you know, approached us. Um, yeah, my, my, my memories kind of went back to the studio and, um, just kind of thinking about, I'll say this, we were, we were probably at our peak, you know, and we, we had just gotten management, you know, and we had gotten a booking agent and, you know, to, to kind of, tag along on what Josh said, you know, um, our managers were like, okay, it's time to, you know, trust kill is ready for, you know, us to start thinking about recording this first record for them. You know, are there, are there any studios you have in mind that you want us to pursue? And like Josh said, you know, we, we just thought that the egg from Shiner just sounded so incredibly awesome. Like at a time where, a lot of hardcore bands and metalcore bands were starting to get these really compressed, like super awesome sounding recordings. You know, there had been this, this major leap in production um, at the time, you know, from where it sounded like you just went and recorded at your friend's garage to these albums that were coming out that sounded like just total next level production we always kind of gravitated to that perfect blend of organic kind of live sounding you know production and to us shiner's album the egg was just sonically perfect and when we were reading the liner notes you know we discovered that they recorded in Matt Talbot's studio and we were also humongous fans of hum and so as just a you know just a complete shot in the air we told our managers you know hey first on our list could you look into maybe booking time uh with this guy named Matt Talbot at you know Great Western Record Recorders and i mean it didn't take long and they were calling us back saying we got it you know, we've got time booked for, for that. So we were incredibly just elated to find out that not only were we going to record at this studio that put out this record to us that just sounded incredible, but that also it was owned and operated by one of our musical heroes, you know, that being Matt Talbot from Hum. And just reflecting on 
you know, the couple weeks that we were there living in the studio, recording every day, hanging out, playing video games. I mean, uh, it, it doesn't get much better than that. Yeah. I, I remember, uh, I remember, uh, watching that same tour video on YouTube. It's funny. I remember this little part of the video where someone's like, should I, should I do laundry today? Nah, nah, I'll do it tomorrow. And I was like, oh yeah, I, I remember that shit. <laughs> yeah. 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 I can wear these clothes again. It's fine. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm 23 years old. It doesn't matter. Exactly. <laughs> I still do that now. I mean, I've been home all week wearing the same thing. Sick. So, uh, you know, I don't have to see anybody. I don't care. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's fine. Well, wow. That's a great, those are, uh, I didn't realize the, uh, Shiner tie in there that, um, they had recorded the egg at the same spot and that's how you made the connection. So that's really cool to hear it. But, um, yeah, uh, classic album that I listened to again around this time of year, like I always do. And, I just wanted to say, Josh, Adam, the rest of Hope's Fall, thanks again for including me in that uh, series of posts that week. It was uh, nice to be able to contribute to that. Thanks. That was awesome. Oh, of course. Yeah. Thank you for uh, contributing to it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we appreciate thank you. it. Yeah. yeah. So what else is going on? How are we doing personally? I have to tell you guys, I'm having the worst week uh, of my life. Yeah. COVID. I have COVID. Uh, I tested it positive on wednesday and i tested myself again this morning still positive the, i i got hit hard i have every symptom uh it's friday as we're recording this i i have lost taste i cannot taste food anymore and it, it just would like it would be really bad and then i would f start to feel better and i'd be like cool it's over and then i'd get hit again full force and then it would go away and i'd be like cool it's over. And then I'd get hit again <laughs> and be up all night, congested, sick, hot flashes, cold flashes, sore throat, uh, shortness of breath. You name it. I had every single symptom. Uh, but today I finally got to the doctor and got a pla Plaxlovid or whatever it is. And uh, I started taking that. And I think I think I'm finally on the other side of this. They told me to stay quarantined until like next Thursday, which is fine. I can do that, but I'll continue taking this medication and healing. But, th oh God, this has been one hell of a week. Really rough. Oh man. That's, you, a, that's, you sound great. Yeah. You don't sound like you, you're sick right now. So that's good. That's good. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. This is like the first day I have actually felt better. I had a bunch of interviews this week. I had to reschedule i haven't done any podcast editing we're going to be right up to the wire i thought for the first time ever i was going to have to delay the show a week because it was it was that bad but i finally started to feel better today so i think i'll i'll be okay Dude, i'm glad to hear that man that's that's a bummer i can relate on the no taste no smell thing uh like i like i had a concussion a while back and uh like lost my taste and smell because of that so i've been without it for over a year Wait, hold on a second. You're telling me you haven't been able to taste or smell for over a year? Yes. But not really. Not due to COVID, though. Not due to COVID. Due to the concussion. Due to the concussion. How did you get a concussion? I, 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 I slipped. <laughs> hit my head Where? right on. What happened? I hit my head on the concrete. Jesus. Yeah. And it was so, last year? Last year, yeah. It was right. Oh. It, was like a, it was like a month or two before furnace fest of last year and 
we were like, shit. <laughs> like, because you were, because Josh was like laying there with brutal, my, like, what were you having? Like, super bad headaches and just that like, and, yeah. And it was like, I mean, I slept for like seven straight days after that thing. Like, because your brain only like heals when you sleep, I guess. And, I was out of it. I mean, it was like knocked out like woozy for like 10 hours. So it was, it was full on, man. But yeah, the no taste and smell thing. I, I can relate to that. <laughs> so it, it still hasn't come back. Right. Like I can taste sweet, salty, bitter, but it's like, let's say you gave me ice cream and you had like chocolate, vanilla and strawberry. It would all just taste sweet. I see. You know? Is that ever going to come back? Like, is it ever going to go back to normal? Do you know? I don't know. I don't know. That's rough. It's weird. But if you had to lose one, you might as well lose that one. Yeah, I get. Yeah, that's. Yeah, you don't. You definitely don't want to be blind or deaf or or lose a limb or anything. Yeah. Yeah, So it is weird. Like this morning, I had my usual breakfast sandwich that I eat every morning, and I, it just it kind of tasted like bug spray. Mm. Oh, wild! Do you know? Have you ever like? tasted raid i like <laughs> like nope nope haven't haven't ever tasted raid dude it's like i remember smelling it after i spray it but i've never tasted it yeah, yeah. like well one time i was uh one time i was on a vacation and like my friend's parents like sprayed me down with bug spray and i think like some of it got into my mouth and then i got sick oh so i think that's how i know what it tastes like but yeah imagine spraying raid and but but imagine like tasting the smell. That's kind of what like food tasted like to me oh, this that's morning. A, that's about, that, like well, I'm like, like pleasantly neutral. Like bathrooms oh, don't good. smell bad. Nothing smells. Period. Adam, how are you doing? Uh, it's been a long time since I've spoken to you. You were I haven't spoken to you since you were on the show, and that was like in our first year. Mm-hmm. Yep, I'm I'm doing all right. No complaints. Uh, just uh, you know, getting up, working, coming home. Fathering, husband, husbanding, and uh, and waking up in the morning, doing it all over again, and then squeezing hopes fall in when uh, when we can all get together. How many kids do you have? Just one. Okay, that's manageable. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You could say that he's been also vinyl collecting in that list of things that Adam does. Yes. You know, I didn't even realize until I posted your episode uh, long ago, Adam, that you have uh, the vinyl instagram site that i forget the handle of what is it again <laughs> this ties into the uh to the alan epley <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> god everything tur- turns into this shit um it, it, so yeah my instagram is purge before you binge which is a which is an a lyric um from the first life and times ep see that everything comes back to alan is that song Beautiful. was that on the song servo no it was on it was off the first track yeah, God, I love that. I love that EP. I know, dude. I'm. I've been listening to his his solo uh, single all yeah. week. It is it's really it, good. I'm glad you showed that to me. It's lush and dreamy, and I, I I can't wait to hear the rest of the songs he has on that thing. By the way, Adam, I always wanted to ask you the vinyl site Purge before you binge. How do you get the records? so nice looking for the pictures is there like some photoshop involved in that yes and no i don't i don't know how to photoshop um everything i do i do on my phone so yeah like <laughs> a, a lot of people have asked um so like basically i just take a a piece of white construction paper put two coffee cups down on it 
and then balance the uh, the record jacket and the record on top of the coffee cups. And then I take the picture looking down onto it. And then I just uh, edit it, do a little bit of like, um, you know, just very amateur iPhone editing. And then, um, bam, post it. Amazing. Yeah. No, the uh, the uh, picture editor, I didn't even know it existed until someone showed me, but you can really make regular pictures look amazing. Yeah. I use it all the time. Yeah, man. The iPhone's a powerful tool, man. Like, and if you, and if you are creative enough to kind of, you know, know what you want to do and figure out how to do it, you can, you can kind of get it there. So. Okay. So before we conclude, Josh, Adam, we celebrated 20 years of the satellite years. You played a gig recently. Wasn't that in uh, New York? It was a full satellite year set. We played a couple. We played one in New York and then one in Greensboro uh, less than a month ago, actually. Oh, right. Yeah. How did that go? It was great, man. Like both of the shows, we got to play the set and it was kind of fun to play the set, the play the record from start to finish because we that's something we've never done before. And yeah. uh, and I think we were all surprised at how much we really enjoyed um, playing certain songs off the record. Yes. Yes. I know uh, Redshift. Um, yeah. That's that's been a good one, you know. When we talked about this, I think last time you were on the show, that's Josh. Right. But I was like, oh, I really want to hear that. And I think you had just played the show. Yeah. And I I went on YouTube and searched it, and it was already up. <laughs> <laughs> I get the timing of when we we've spoken. I, I mess it up there a little bit sometimes. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I can't uh, remember. I can't remember anything. As soon as uh, I hit stop on the episode, I forget everything. Basically. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Because I do this every week. Um, so what do we have coming up uh, in terms of Hope's Hall? Can we announce anything? Do we want to share anything with, with the people? Adam, what do you what, what what should we share? I don't think we current I mean, I is uh I don't think we have any shows lined up except for is Japan is that an on? Is that going on? Possible, you know. So we, we're possibly going to Japan with uh taken. Uh, I think in the early months of 2023, we're going to maybe March think, or something. Yeah. yeah we're going to think good thoughts and will that to happen. That was supposed to happen in 20 March of 2020. And of course that's when the fucking world went to shit. I mean, we were literally, I mean, plane tickets were booked, you know, tickets were sold. If it would have happened two weeks earlier, it would have been a done deal and we would have been back. It was the worst timing possible. So uh, the promoter has been really awesome and we've stayed in touch and hopefully fingers crossed there won't be another uh, world catastrophe and hopefully we'll get back over there or hopefully we'll get over there, you know, early 2023. As far as anything else goes, I would say if you're a fan of vinyl collecting or vinyl records and you're a fan of the satellite years, maybe keep an eye out in the near future. There you go. Yeah. And I really hope that uh, Taken Hope's Fall tour happens. I remember that getting canceled and I was like, oh, damn it. But I mean, that's an incredible tour. Taken, an amazing band, and the both of you guys in Japan. I mean, come on. Yeah, that would be a really fun show. We were really looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to happen. It has to. Yeah. Well, we're out of time 
for this week's episode. Adam, it's wonderful to have you back on the show. Thanks so much for dropping in. Thank you, sir. I really appreciated uh, being asked to uh, come along and co-host this episode. And Josh, great to speak with you again. Always. Thanks for coming on. Always, man. No, I appreciate you including us. Yeah, especially we're always talking about fun, like good bands. So it's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so we are very in tune with our uh, musical taste, so we we have to keep we have to keep on top of that. We have to keep riding that out. Yep, absolutely. And that's it for this episode, but I am back next week with another new episode and a brand new guest. So thanks everybody for listening and until next time.